Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Yeah, you know Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? And here we go. Welcome to Down with D&D. I am Sean Merwin, and today I am here yet again with Mr. Teo Sabadilla, a la Alpha Stream, for episode four of Alpha Stream Mania on Down with D&D. It's a team How's effort. How's it going? <laughs> it, it, it is. It's a team effort, and you know, we're still losing. Uh, so, but, but uh, you know, we'll, we're, we're getting there. That's right. We're, it's like the blood we, war. Yeah. Yes, it's exactly like the blood war. Are, are we the devils or the demons? That's what I can't figure out. Well, Sean, I'm doing well. We are both still standing. Uh, well, mm-hmm. I'm sitting, but you know what I mean. And um, <laughs> yeah, you're standing. Uh, but we both had weeks of doing a, a lot of design work, and we are still yeah. breathing. So that's always a good sign. Yeah, it's a it's a good week when you can put down, you know. 50 or so, so thousand words <laughs> that was not quite that week for me but i still had a good well, yeah yeah no, <laughs> good i job, didn't Sean. have that week i didn't have that week either but it, <laughs> it felt like it but hey you know uh we are here to talk about designing as well as playing as well as running games and uh we are also here with the news so we've got a lot of smaller news bits uh this week as lots of things came down the pipe uh, the first one was Immediately after we stopped recording our last show, uh, Wizards of the Coast announced that they were going to be reprinting a D&D version of the game, The Great Dalmuti. Uh, this, so this is a game from uh, the designer of Magic, Richard Garfield, from years ago, that is getting an update with a D&D flavor. Uh, the link to it is in the show notes. Uh, did you have anything to add about the game itself, Deus? I've never played it, but uh, but I've heard folks like Mike Selinker, who's you know, an amazing game designer, yeah. talk about it. And I think what it seems to be fun for is it's it's sort of your sort of more typical, somewhat typical card game, uh-huh. uh, but it comes with these silly titles like the Great Dal Moody. Uh, and, and what I immediately thought of is there should be an acquisitions incorporated version of this game. <laughs> That's true. Uh, yeah. From the description, I read it's sort of a trick taking game, but it has a sh- social aspect to it. Uh, so it, it, it will be interesting to see when it comes out, a, how it will, will be received since it's, you know, it's a few years old now and B what else wizards might do with it when they come out with a lot of games like they did with uh dragon what well, wasn't dragon poker what was it called um oh god yes um yeah i can look on my shelf right now and, and tell you but uh no i moved it uh <laughs> yeah so so they, they turned that game into three dragon ante yes uh they turned that game into an in-world game and I was wondering if they might do that with this game. Uh, that, yeah, that'd be interesting. Um, yeah. It for once is not a game that tries to be like a thing you would play in the middle of a D&D game, at least not currently. Right. So I'd be curious whether they try to do that because I, I feel like when they usually do that, they create a game that's longer than most gaming sessions and so it doesn't really <laughs> do it. But, but yeah, that's you true. know what? More games. Let's, I'm always for yeah. that. Yeah, more games, more fun. So... I, I now realize that we are living in the weirdest timeline. Uh, when today on Twitter, Wizard announced 
that if you want a D&D t-shirt that is exclusively orderable through target.com, you can do so while supplies last. It is a very nice looking shirt, uh, red with a pair of black dragons uh, facing each other. And a, a D&D exclusive Target t-shirt. What, what a world, what a world. Never, never did I think I'd see the day. I'm, yeah, yeah, it, it is, yeah, it is weird. Yeah. Like, like the idea that I could walk through the Target with my kids and they'd be like, oh, look, a D&D t-shirt. I'd be like, yeah, sure, okay. Yeah, and then buying D&D box sets off the shelf that are Target exclusive for, for, for a few months. And yeah. yeah, it's, it's, it's a good time, but it's a strange time. It's and strange. you can go to target.com and, and uh, search under Dungeons and Dragons short sleeve t-shirt and, and you can find that. You know what I'm ready for, Sean, is uh, D&D branded face masks. Yeah. I'm Mind su- flare. Oh yeah. I'm Green surprised. that has, Yeah. All that, all that. I, you know, I, maybe they attempted it, but, but couldn't get it done. But like yeah, it's daily it, dragon face breathing out, you know, like breathing fire. fire yeah. That'd be awesome. yeah. Just, I mean, yeah. The, the mind flare one is, is like a no brainer, right? You can have a little frills hanging from the bottom. Mm-hmm. Flump. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Th- those, those smell though. So you have to be careful. <laughs> so we go from the silly to the wow. Cool. Um, there is going to be a new magazine called Arcadia magazine from uh the matt coville group mcdm yeah but do they have anyone with, decent heading it up nah you know it's this guy named james and Tricasso. i don't know <laughs> he seems a little sketchy to me yeah. uh yeah so so james and Tricasso has been named the managing editor awesome. and there there isn't one particular site that that really gives full details. But if you've scoured the internet as we have, you can see, you know, there are different people that said they're writing for it. Like Rich Lescaflair was one. Um, they've got a diverse group of, of contributors for the first few issues. Uh, and so I'm looking forward to that. I think it's going to run on a Patreon model and we'll see how it goes. Uh, we, we will have more information on that as more information is released. And hopefully we will also talk to James or maybe even talk to Matt if we can, if we can get him on the show. Uh, because for me, you know, they, they make great content. James is a great D&D mind. I have no fear that it will be a wonderful thing. My question is, is there a market for it? Because there's been no true successor to Dungeon or Dragon magazine that we've really seen gain a foothold in 5e. Um, we've had a ton of material released thanks to you know the OGL and thanks to uh, the DMs Guild, but no periodical, if you will, no, no subscription. It comes once a month with a ton of content uh, that's been really good, that's, that's either vetted by wizards or, or associated with wizards. Um, there have been some small Patreons. Uh, Cobalt Press has a Warlock zine that they put out. Which is which is great for what it is, yeah. but it's you know it's definitely not a hundred page full cover full color uh, thing. So I'm I'm really wondering, is there a market? Well, it, it feels like Patreons are all about the community uh, and mm-hmm. the audience that you can bring together. And Matt Col- Colville has an amazing audience. True. And if he can leverage that 
combined with that, I think that Matt has a, a very good feel for the history of the game, but is in, in no way beholden to it, right? It's something he does on his videos and, and all of his different ways that he works. He, he creates what he wants to create with an eye towards the current market and even the future in, in a way that's mm -hmm. very uncanny. And that's why I think he's, it's been successful, uh, his various endeavors. So I, I think at the very least, we could expect a really strong start. And, and then of course, James brings such good discipline mm -hmm. uh, that I think will be a strong grounding effect. And James and Matt have worked before. So I, I expect this could have a really strong start. If anything's got a shot at it, this does. Um, yeah. I think people are willing to pay for this if you can get sustained value out of it, right? If, if you right. feel like month after month, your campaign is better, your game is better. You will go mm -hmm. with that. I mean, Dragon Magazine, Dungeon, they did this for us back then at a time mm -hmm. when there weren't other vehicles. Now there are other vehicles. So you have to compete with those vehicles. And I think Matt exactly. and James are in a good position to do that. Yeah. And I think your point on the community is is really important too. And and not just his strong community, but the type of community it is. Uh, because like Critical Role has a strong community, uh, right? Acquisitions Incorporated has a really strong community, but they're a community more on the viewer side than on the DM player side when you compare it to Matt's. Yeah. Right. Because Matt isn't about actual play. Matt's about let's break down this game and so that right there leaves his community in a place that is more likely to support such a thing as this yeah yeah agreed exciting so, I, I love this news great news yeah yep and we will keep an eye on that and deliver news as it unfolds uh, if you are into the unearthed arcana articles a new one has been released with two new subclasses you can get that at the usual spot on the wizards of the coast website uh, the two sub new subclasses are the college of spirits bard a bard subclass that learns stories from the spirits and the undead patron warlock a new warlock subclass whose patron is a powerful undead being uh, we don't have the time to talk about those right now, but maybe in a future episode, we will sit down and at least give an impression of what, um, of what they are and what's, what's involved with them. It's fascinating. I mean, this ties in thematically to the Ravenloft Revisited set. Uh, visited? Mm -hmm. Revamped. Revamped, thank you. I knew it was a plan word. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but... I mean, I would expect that's not in this. So then it makes you wonder, well, what are they eyeing this to be a part of? Maybe it's part of the kind of undead angle on Icewind Dale. Or it's, you know, it's interesting. Yeah, true, right? It's that whole what they put out is where they're heading. Yeah. Um, so, so you have to keep an eye on that. Yeah, it's true. It is kind of a spirit undead uh, related packet, if you will. Cool. So what, what about, uh, speaking of Matt Colville, what about uh, his YouTube discussion did you want to talk about? Yeah, so he posted a video recently, which we'll have the link in the show notes, giving a, a pretty good overview of traps. And I guess it's something that he had been asked by his audience, his community to talk about for a while and had not really done so. And it really echoed and mirrored a lot of what we had talked about in our traps episode. So I thought for folks who want a little more depth on it, it's a, it's a fun overview. And he does a lot uh, from the perspective of talking about the Book of Challenges, which is an old third edition mm -hmm. book that Mike Selinker and some others worked on. Sure. Um, it's a fun book. 
and and it's the I think the kind of book you and I like because it it isn't just you know a single trap it it involves sort of a, a whole encounter setup and it's a very neat and engaging uh, mm -hmm. neat and engaging situations that are in that book so he talks about that from that perspective which I thought was cool sweet and uh, the last bit of news announcements is from the misdirected mark slash down with D&D forums uh, evil John John Carney asks a question of us about epics from the adventures league and playing or running them online conventions what our thoughts were about them what the challenges would be of running them online well john you have no idea how impeccable your timing is uh, this is something that we are definitely going to be discussing more in the coming weeks for a variety of reasons that we can't go into right now but yes it is something that is definitely on our minds and uh, the whole experience of playing an epic adventure publicly, whether it's public online or public, uh, uh, public in person is, is super. Uh, it's something that's Teos and I have always are thinking about because we do do adventures league uh, play and DMing and writing so much. So hang in there, John, we will get back to you on that question. And for folks who don't know, epics are uh, organized play events that are, uh, involving multiple tables, doing what's usually a very grand part of a storyline. So something that, that's like a huge battle and all the tables are defending the walls, the different parts of the walls of a castle, things like that. Um, yep. so, so how do we do that yep. online? Yeah. Yep. And it often involves, you know, people addressing the entire, uh, event all at once or NPCs wandering from table to table, either attacking or giving boons or just continuing the story so there's a bunch of moving parts with an epic and so porting it to an online setting is uh something that obvious for obvious reasons is important to people right now so that's why we will talk about it more in an upcoming episode whether extensively or briefly i don't know but it's going to be a topic on our minds yeah cool and with that said, let's move on to our main topic for the episode, which is a continuation of our uh, talk on exploring exploration. This is part two. So a quick recap from last time. Uh, with the advent of fifth edition, the designers of D&D started talking about the three, the three pillars of D&D, combat, role-playing, or exploration. And so when they gave us that structure, it gave us a new way to examine stories, games, D&D, encounters, and so on. Uh, so when we're talking just about exploration, we're talking about a piece of this pillar puzzle that is often confusing for people. Combat is pretty standard and basic. People can understand it. Most of the rules deal with combat. Role-playing is something that people can understand too because they're used to the concept just in life of taking on a role and acting in a certain way. But the exploration is where the confusion lies and the confusion is understandable. So based on uh, the general outlines and, and backgrounds we gave last time, this week we want to dig a little bit deeper into the topic. Uh, I'm going to step back and let Teos talk a little bit more about where we're going to go from here. Yeah, so I think we want to talk about what are the different types of exploration and how do you do those well and look at how you can combine 
the uh, exploration aspect of the three pillars with the other two pillars to make that a memorable experience. Um, how you can give your players choices and have consequences and, and how to tell a fun story through exploration. And we're going to focus on uh, most of exploration here, but I think we're going to end up with a part three mm -hmm. that really focuses only on overland travel because it is kind of its own piece of exploration. Mm. Yeah, even though I think it's what folks often think of. And, and after our first episode on exploring exploration, I asked on Twitter uh, two questions. And one of them was, when you think of the exploration pillar, what comes to mind? Mm -hmm. And a lot of people, the majority, mentioned travel through a wilderness or a dungeon, which we're going to focus on next time. But, but it's interesting to me that that's part of, I think, what makes it confusing is that that's what really registers in our mind is, is the idea of a map uh, mm -hmm. or the dungeon crawl, but like ticking things off, right? And right. that makes it hard to then have that pillar interact with others or to give it its proper spotlight if we're thinking primarily of that as a vehicle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and overland travel is worthy of its own episode because it is it is such a standard D and D trope, but it's also very hard to do well, especially given the various wants of players. You know, some are happy with sort of the hex crawl. Let's just randomly see what happens whereas others want a directed story and that overland travel doesn't uh scratch their D, &D itch yeah so so there there's a lot of topics to delve into just on overland travel so as teo said next time we will touch on that whereas this time we are going to get into some of the aspects of the pillar of exploration that people may not think of uh, when they think of exploration yeah, so when we're looking at exploration that isn't this travel through a wilderness or dungeon, what we're really talking about is kind of everything that isn't role-play and combat. But more succinctly, it's, it's the things that create wonder and interaction when we're playing D&D. &D. And if I think back on myself starting as a kid, this was, this was what really sucked me in. It was the idea that I could play a game that allowed me to interact with my environment and things happen because of that interaction. Right. And that's, you, 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 I think it's the heart of D&D in many ways, right? We don't want to lose that in our games. We want to have as much of that as possible in our games. Mm -hmm. And thinking back on those days, this was before even, for me, even before like the Legend of Zelda video game. Right. Yeah. This was this was in a time when in your video games you could not interact in a wide open sandbox setting. Right. There there was no I can't even think of, <laughs> you know, off the top of my head, the all of the various games now where you can play for hours and hours and hours and never follow the main storyline. Yeah. Um, that wasn't a thing then. So this game, D and D, was the only way to play a game that had sound rules, but was more in an exploratory type of setting. Yeah, and in many ways, the way to do exploration is to make sure it doesn't resemble sort of the worst games, right? If your exploration is, uh, you must, you know, kill 15 goblins, right, which are the worst 
video game quests or <laughs> right. then that's right. where it ends up or if it's so linear that we feel like all i'm doing is i'm just traveling on this train then we have lost that pillar right um, and I put down some examples here of things that recognize the larger role of exploration, right? So describing right. a scene and letting players make choices in that scene. An example mm -hmm. is you walk into a market, right? The party walks into a market and you describe these various stalls and the, the players are not directed to go straight to the one stall. Mm -hmm. They have breathing room. Mm -hmm. That's the exploration pillar, right? That's what brings the exploration pillars, that idea that you can walk around the market, maybe mm -hmm. buy something, maybe hear some rumors, and then eventually you're getting into one or more uh, leads that take you further in whatever the plot is that we're having. But it's that, that, that breathing room that you have in the scene around a market or even just the city itself. Um, interesting elements within a particular encounter. So the dungeon has a green devil face. Right, classic. Uh, it, you know, black impenetrable void for a mouth. What do you do right. with that? You're exploring a kobold den and there's a lever in the room just sitting there, begging to be mm -hmm. pulled. Um, you're uncovering mysteries. So you are role playing with a noble, the party's talking to this noble, uh, maybe with one specific goal in mind. And then out of nowhere, the noble drops information that someone else, they're not sure who, is making deals with the, the whatever entity the party considers to be the enemy, right? Suddenly this new piece of information and now they've got something to unravel and learn more about and maybe because of this noble is you have to be delicate about it. This to me, you know, that's the kind of thing that really creates uh, exploration and encounters that we're talking about here. Yeah, and one thing to keep in mind too is a topic I always come back to which is the unity of effect, right? It's, it's have an idea of what the overarching theme, tone, doesn't have to be plot necessarily, and create those elements that the characters can explore that expand on that unity of effect that reinforces the tone or the atmosphere uh, that, that you are trying to, to get across. If you're doing a strange dungeon where there's all, the, all this technology, you can come up with these details, these interesting elements that don't have to do anything, but rather than being, you know, a, a stone statue, like you would see in a temple dungeon, uh, you see things made of metal uh, that move yeah. that they don't have to do anything. They don't have to attack. They don't have to be traps, but they just reinforce the fact that you are in a different place than you're used to. Yeah, and that's great. And especially when you're when you're first kind of showcasing something like that, like you, you know, you've given some hints at clockwork. When you give that clockwork statue, mm -hmm. the players are gonna mess with it, right? They're gonna, what's going on right. here? Why is it made of clockwork instead of just being stone or whatever it is, right? That's, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so that's yeah, that's a part of exploration and doesn't have to be huge. It doesn't have to, you know, take up a whole session, but it's it's the details that reinforce the themes that you're going for and that's a big part of secret sauce to being a good dungeon master a good storyteller is that ability to bring home that unity of effect like you're talking about mm -hmm. draping exploration almost like you're you know it's a skin it's it's a layer that you're dropping onto whatever else you have planned um mm -hmm. you know the guards working for this clockwork themed area maybe they have a gear as their insignia mm -hmm. you know just little yeah. things like that 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 get 
the players feeling that theme. Mm-hmm. Um, so I also asked on Twitter, what aspect of the exploration pillar is hardest for you to do right? Because I think that's very telling too. Um, yeah. Probably what most people mentioned was the difficulty in making long travel feel fun. So we'll, we'll talk about that. How do you make it feel yeah. fun, interesting, and real? Yeah. But a lot of folks mentioned things that were, that were about this, what we're talking about today. Um, things like, how do you make the time exploring feel rewarding? Mm-hmm. How do you uh, describe things evocatively enough that players are interested in doing it and they want to do something about it? Mm-hmm. Um, and you noted one here about keeping players involved. Right. Uh, someone, more than one person, uh, mentioned this game, but Jared Rasher did on the forums. So thank you, Jared. Uh, he said, Adventures in Middle-Earth's journey system is great because it gives people individual roles that they take on their journey. So it has them rolling to see how the steps of the travel work out, uh, give, playing with inspiration and exhaustion in interesting ways. Uh, he noted that it's not something that can port over to standard D&D directly. So when we talk about overland travel, you know, we can talk more about that. And as we mentioned last time, you know, having roles outside of normal gameplay is a way to, to game mechanically take something that might be a little boring for players or a little off-putting for players and making it interesting as Teos uh, did with the roles for the Acquisitions Incorporated game. Uh, yeah. you know, those, those are specifically built to make those downtime activities something more, uh, more deep, giving them depth. Yeah, and it becomes another lens through which you can see the, the adventure scenario because if you are the person whose job it is to communicate back with your home office, your leadership, you know, whoever it is, your faction, um, mm-hmm. then that becomes a, a lens through which you see things and, and, and that the DM can respond to. Um, mm-hmm. And you can do that to a certain extent with backgrounds or even just noticing without formalizing positions, though it's fun to use them formally. Uh, you can just kind of say, all right, you know, this is the character that's always taking notes right. and the yeah. player that's always taking notes. So I know that, that I've got, and maybe you have two, but I have one or two players who really like doing this and I can feed them with information over time so that they are always involved and have a little something. Um, this is the character that has the backstory of being a pirate. I can keep them with a periodic supply of pirate themed things so right. that they have something to do with that, right? And this is the person that's yep. looking for their sister and that kind of thing. And so, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and all of that, doesn't necessarily fit into the combat or role-playing pillar. So that's why when we talk about exploration and its role in the game, we can pull that stuff into exploration and make it something that the characters are actively doing to broaden the game through exploration of various kinds, right? Because now, now that we've played a few sessions of my Acquisitions Incorporated game, players are just they're crazy trying to figure out what to do with their downtime it's like oh i want to do this wait i also want to do this oh we could do this so now they're they're bantering back and forth on what to do with this downtime which in other games we haven't even used yeah but now it's a resource now it's something that's going to get them new quests more money all of these things 
it, it becomes valuable and it becomes a huge part of their mindset. And, and a framework like that is really helpful for me as a DM. Like when I ran the Acquisitions Incorporated Adventure, it, it, was, it's, it gave me clear messages of what they care about and therefore what payoff I can offer. And that was exciting for me because a lot of times you just, you're sort of prepping the next part of the adventure. But when you have that downtime piece, then you go, okay, you spent time with this creature that you saved in the first dungeon. Mm -hmm. You wanted to help it out. So since you spent your, your downtime on that, it likes you. And whenever I decide to bring it back, it's going to come to your side, right? And right. Or maybe it even will become a mount or something crazy like that. But, you know, you have this relationship with this creature. Uh, and then if someone else is researching a particular threat, then I can feed you with rewarding pieces of information about that threat or even maybe create a nemesis that's specific to you. You've been delving into my secrets, right? And, and just that kind of, that's to me, super exciting. It's like, now I'm the one who's <laughs> involved in exploring and mysteries because, you know, it's right. like a two-way street. It's yeah, great. yeah. And, and you're not exploring a forest, right? You're exploring a story. Yeah, story. All together. And that's, you know, that's one of the most important pieces of the game is that story that you create with your players. Yeah. And, and I, I like to think of like sometimes when we're talking about tips, things to do, like it, it, you're never, it's never like you flip a switch and say, oh, use downtime or use positions or any of these things. And it just immediately works. It's more about trying out these techniques and then seeing, you know, use them in a session, mm -hmm. see what worked best, what didn't work, and then adjust over time. Um, right. I'm sure this is true for you as well, that when I try something new, it's not like it 100% works the first time. It's more that it sure. slowly over yep. time improves my games. And, and that's an yep. important part about anything to do with this exploration pillar is, is try out a new approach to it. And as much as you can, uh, you know, take notes, observe, think after the game ends, go, okay, what really worked? You know, I tried to do this to create a more open play or engagement. Did it work? Why? Right. How? Right, right. You know, I'm going to try random encounters for this trip. Yeah. See how that works. How do the players respond? Yeah. Uh, and if it works, great. Continue to do it. Enhance it. Uh, if it doesn't work, drop it and, and put in the next uh, piece that you want to try. One of the comments we got, this is on the real concrete side, but, um, but I thought it was a, a, a thing that comes up all the time, which is how do I deal with high perception scores? Um, and you could almost say the same thing for insight scores, which was a topic on Twitter as well last week. And I would say that, that um, how you deal with it is you reward that, that, that they have this mm -hmm. by giving them information, but you don't then destroy or eliminate surprises and the need to really engage with things, right? So, so create... When you have, which almost, I mean, most tables will have somebody with a high perception or high insight, then let mm -hmm. that be the gateway that's still rewarding for the fact that there's more information to be uncovered by interacting. Right. Yeah. And, you know, if, if you're worried that you can never, ever, ever surprise your party because you have the one character with an 18 passive perception, uh, use every once in a while, use group perception checks. Uh, and because they're coming from all directions and you can't see everything at once. So, uh, you know, everyone can still be surprised unless you are a character that has that specific rule that says you can never be surprised. Um, 
then you know that then that's just the part of the game you have to deal with too and you know you can do it a lot of different ways maybe uh maybe the enemy is hiding within something that that they have to actually investigate to to uh to see rather than just perceive so you know throw in an investigation check now and then you know it and again don't completely nerf what they've done because it's part of their character but you don't have to follow the same rule of perception every single time yeah and that's where you can test things out over time like do you like does the, the do the players and does this particular high perception or high insight player do they like uh sort of auto winning so do you need to mm-hmm. give them some auto wins every now and then to you know is that what pleasing or are they happy to have something like you know you spot that there are several discolored tiles in this room but you're not sure what happens if you step on them and then right. that leads to the experimentation and engagement and so on. And right. Maybe that's yep. great. But maybe sometimes yep. you need to say, hey, here's a spear trap that you totally saw and you can sidestep. Yep. And that's there's nothing wrong with that as long as it's not every single time. Right. For sure. So uh, our next topic, which is going to be a big one, is how to combine exploration with other types of encounters. Because uh, this is where you can make exploration truly sing on its own as well as enhance these other encounters. Yeah. And I think that we talked a little bit about this, that exploration is, is a, is a common thread that you can weave through any type of an encounter. Um, things like having a gear icon with guards who are involved with something related to clockwork. Um, you can, you can have role playing where the noble gives you a secret that you need to learn more about, says something that's mm-hmm. interesting or duplicitous. So you can always add exploration to a scene that is primarily something else. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are a number of things you can do. So you can look at a scene and say, all right, how can I put something in the scene that can be used by either the characters or the foes to gain an advantage of some kind? Right, that mm-hmm. creates an engagement point. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a scything blade trap, and it's obviously stuck. Uh, but it could be made to work again, and that's sort of obvious in the way you describe it. And maybe there's yeah. even, you know, a uh, someone, you know, an enemy who's trying to get it to work again. Mm-hmm. Instant engagement, right, to gain an advantage. Right. Yep. And as long as you make that advantage something that is obviously worth the lost actions that they would take to, to deal with it, then you are, um, then you're giving them an option that they're likely going to go after and engage with. And if they still ignore it, as Teo said, just have the enemy use it. Yeah. When they see that, you know, the one D eight plus three damage that they're doing per round, uh, with their sword is nothing compared to the 3d10 damage that this scythe trap is now doing because the goblins got it working again. Uh, They will quickly learn that they should pay attention to these things. And I love encounters that are, that, that are like that, that sort of, you could almost summarize to say the monsters are in like a, are surprised by the characters and are sort of stumbling to do the thing that they wish they had set up for the character's arrival, right? Like they have to add oil to the big fire breathing 
trap device, right? And yeah, so they're yeah. madly trying to pour it in there. Things like that, like they're so much fun. Like you cannot have too many of those encounters where you're right. like goblins running up to get to the steps to pull on the cord. And it's so obvious. Yeah. Those are great setups and characters love, and players love responding to those situations. Yep. Uh, another example is something in the scene, especially a combat scene uh, or a role-playing scene, where this where the characters think that something's happening a certain way and that their goal is is x whereas a few uh, rounds in something changes and they realize that what they're trying to do is not what they should be trying to do or what they thought was happening is not what's really happening yeah um so you could do something like you're you're chasing someone who you think is culpable and partway through the combat, you realize that it's actually a different person. Right. Right. Yep. Uh, yep. And the other person shows up on a different side. Or you're thinking of it as just simply defeat these folk who have been setting fire to these stables. But then you realize there's someone trapped upstairs. And so now there's more than just mm -hmm. fight. There's figure out what's going on. How do I get upstairs? Who is upstairs? Do I want to take the time to help them? Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is one of my favorite things to do because it's it's great story-wise. And it's also something that can be used mechanically. Um, like one of the one of the challenges of writing for writing anything for publication is you never know the strength or the makeup of the characters that are going to be playing it. And so if there's a way that internally you can balance that you should try to use that. So if you have a party that they alpha strike every first round, they use all their main things and they usually win the, the uh, battle in one round, you can throw in some things where like there, there's some magical effect or they think they're supposed to be fighting this moving statue. But what they realize after a couple rounds is every bit of damage they're doing to the statue is being funneled magically through it to its master that is waiting behind the curtain. So if you did a thousand points of damage in the first round, the master now has a thousand points of damage. Uh, groups that can only do a hundred points of damage in a round, then that master only has a hundred points of damage. So you've made it easier for the less powerful groups and harder for the more powerful groups. And that sort of internal balance can go a long way. I also love that this kind of setup uh, really tells a great story and feels like what happens in a more like in a television scene. Uh, if you think of kind of classic uh, exciting things like a series episode of 24 or something like that, where, where it's often not just a fight, but something else is going on or mission impossible, right? You're, you're trying to, you know a fight is possible, but you've got this other goal that's the primary thing, and then the fight happens. Um, you did this in Defiance and, Pl and, and Flan, where you had this, uh, the players have to go do a transaction to mm -hmm. trade for, I think it's a dragon egg, and mm -hmm. then another party shows up and brings the combat to the scene, and you're already ready for maybe combat with this group, but then this other group shows up, and now you have a hayloft and maybe a fire and all these different yeah. elements happening together. Right. Uh, and because there are two different groups, you can maybe play them off against one another. There, there, 
a lot of opportunity comes in here. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, I mean, it's, I've almost started now when I design uh, combats, especially to instead of a lot of times people think, okay, what monster is it? Start with the monster. I've started always start with the terrain. Always start with the story that's happening without any of the combatants there. What's going on in the room. And if you start with that, then you can think up of these, think up these ways that the characters can interact with the, the setting and interact with the monsters separately or together. Absolutely. Yeah. Story first design is something I really like. Um, mm-hmm. I recently play tested something that GM Tim is going to be releasing in the future for mm-hmm. Adventures League. So I'll give no specifics because they, uh, you know, it can always change before publication. Plus, it's, it's not released yet. But uh, but it, it's he had a number of small vignettes that the DM can use along the, the travel that they're taking, and they had a com- each one had a combination of evocative, evocative location. So it's mm-hmm. interesting to just be there, and then a clear story about this place or creatures or people you're helping. So there was an obvious narrative that the, mm-hmm. that the players can latch onto, latch onto. And then there's the actual threat that you're doing the combat with. Right. And that's, that's great. Right. Yeah. All, all that stuff is great. And uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of these things that we could talk about. Um, the, with goals changing, with foes not being what they seem, um, all, all of these things. What's super important, though, especially if you're the DM, is you need to introduce these changes, these things, in a way that is organic and maximizes the player's fun. Yeah. Uh, if, if you hide the secret, then it's frustrating for the players. If you give away the secret too quickly, then it can lose the effect that you're trying to have with the with the with the switch, right? With the flipping of the switch to to show the difference. And as a as a designer, as a game designer, you can try to carefully say, well, it takes two investigation checks to do that. But you're when you're doing the writing, you're not the DM. You don't know what that situation is. So as the DM, you need to be super aware of how it's going and when it's okay to just give them the information or maybe hide it for one more round uh, to, to give that full effect for the players. Yeah, like, I'm, I'm thinking right now of how it would be fun to have something like you're, you're exploring a tomb and this competing group, and maybe there's sort of a monstrous race. So, so there's that, maybe some people react in the stereotypical way, well, they're the enemy. But maybe in the second round, one of the enemies, quote unquote, steps on something, activates a trap, and suddenly everybody's going to die. There's impending mm-hmm. doom for everybody. And now you have right. to work together, right? Like that would be a really neat flip to have. Right, right. And, and that, that's all about the timing, right? Yep. It's it, it is is the party strong enough that they can get beaten down with the enemies to almost nothing and then flip the switch. Yeah. Or should you do it right away if the party is a little weaker um, so they have more resources to get through it? Uh, you know, all of that is is just 
it's it's a timing issue, right? It's a it's a matter of timing and a matter of knowing the party, which you need the experience to to be able to do, and you need to be sitting there at the table running it, uh, to to know what the best timing is. Yeah, it's true. And I wanted to touch just quickly on exploration and role playing. Um, because you've brought up some examples of, you know, talking to the king and having the king say something out of the blue that the characters will then need to explore. Um, I've always tried to tinker with this exploration role-playing thing. And the one of the ways I came up to do it with was something I used in Defiance and Flan. Uh, it is a mission where the characters are told at the start of this one hour mission, someone in this tavern has an object of great potential danger. They might not even know they have it. I'm not sure what that object even is or who has it, but please spread out and find it because if this bomb goes off, quote unquote, um, it's going to be very dangerous and disruptive for a lot of people. So then the characters have to go off and role play with the various people uh, to try to figure out a who has it and b the clues that they're picking up while they role play are going to tell them why the danger is working in the way that it is and it, the the feedback i got on this was tremendous because for about 30 percent of the people they said this was the most fun of any of these five missions that we had. There was no combat, but it was just, it was perfect. It was wonderful. There was another 30% who, mostly players, who were like, this was stupid. This was stupid. I just, I should have just made my perception check and saw the object and then, and then that was it. And then, you know, 70% were, yeah, or 30% were like, yeah, it was okay. Yeah. And I think it all came down to play what the players want and how well the DM could balance that information flow and pointing the right clues out at the right time based on the perception of the player picking up clues and, and knowing what they should be looking for. Yeah, and, and I've run this a lot. And, and I've, so first, my first thought on this is I'm, I'm so glad you designed this. And when I read over it, I was like, no way. Like, this is actually like, in the first adventure that we're going to release for uh, for organized play for fifth edition for Adventures League, we're going to have a, a, a scene that is entirely exploration and role play and no combat whatsoever. And, I, and, and that's just great. Like, I think that's awesome to show the breadth of what the game can do, but it, it can be hard, right? And in this encounter, I think that I've had it go wonderfully where everybody was just loving it and being super inventive, super creative and super into it. And then I've had cases where people were, were, were really looking for the combat and couldn't right. reconcile that um, yeah. and did want to solve it with just making checks. And so there's probably something there that we can do to, to tweak our encounters when we find that so that it keeps being rewarding to those people who really want to grab an axe. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's true. So it was just, it was one way that I tried to solve the, exploration role-playing issue to see if if it would work yeah i love it yeah 
I, I had, I mean, I've run it many times and I've had the exact same as the designer had the exact same problem where you know, I'm trying to get the players to engage with the NPCs to pick up the clues that they're going to need yeah. once all hell breaks loose. And they just, they just, I want, I make an insight check. I make an insight check. I make an insight check. <laughs> no, just talk to them. Right. Hear, hear, hear their story, figure out who they are. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting puzzle to, to crack. And I think that if you're a DM that has a group that, that is like that, then, then that's important to take into the consideration when you design some groups, they will, they will always engage with some, with a new situation that they'll sort of detect it. Like this is different than what we usually do. We're going to be open-minded with this. We're going to try different things. And others will just say like, I'm sorry, I have an ax in my hand. Where's the thing I need to hit? And so maybe, you know, you can do something that the main way you defeat it is you must interact and explore, but maybe it spawns off some very easy to kill things that those people who really must hit things with axes can be doing that in the corner while the other people who yeah. want to engage can engage. Yeah, yeah, that's true. All right. Well, you know, we're getting to the point where we might need to uh, take a break. So we do have a few more topics uh, to cover which I think might be best covered in our next episode, which we will call Exploring Exploration Part 3. We're very good at naming. In Super 3D. So with that, I want to thank all our patrons and all our listeners. Um, we appreciate you uh, giving us a few bucks if you can, uh, like our patrons do at Patreon slash MMP. But uh just for listening, we appreciate it. Uh, if you could help us out by spreading the gospel of D and down with D and D, we we appreciate that as well. Uh, share our stuff with us on social media. Let people know you like the show, or that you just hate the show a little bit but still listen. We we'll, we'll take that. Uh, we we take that as well. And uh, speaking of social media, Teos, where can people follow you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at AlphaStream or on my blog AlphaStream.org. And there you can find links to everything else I'm involved in. And you can find me on Twitter at Sean Merwin, or you can talk to both Teos and me on forums.misdirectedmark.com, where some new discussions have been popping up recently. So thank you all for uh, coming on to talk. Yeah. Down with D&D is a Misdirected Mark production, the media arm of Encoded Designs. So Teos, what are we going to do now? Let's go and explore some monsters. Woo! If you know what I mean. I know exactly what you mean. Unfortunately. Get down with D&D. &D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. &D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. &D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? &D? Get down with D&D. &D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. &D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. &D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? &D? Yeah, you know